In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to come to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. This is the beginning of the parable, the story. It's simple to say he was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going down the road. That's fairly typical. Here in Ireland, we have some confusion as to whether we're going down the country to Sligo or Cork or up to Dublin from wherever. But in this case, it was very simple because Jerusalem was a lot higher than Jericho, so you were going down. And the fact that the priest happened to be going down the same road would indicate more than likely he was returning from doing his priestly duties in the temple. He had been to Jerusalem, probably lived in Jericho or somewhere, and was returning home, having spent a period of time doing his, fulfilling his priestly duties, serving God, acting as a mediator between man and God. And it says very clearly, he saw the man and he passed by on the other side. That same phrase is used of both of these individuals. Levi, likewise, doesn't tell us which direction he was heading, but regardless, he was probably either coming or going from his duties at the temple. Both of these individuals were probably from the tribe of Levi. The priests had a higher responsibility in offering sacrifices where the Levi probably looked after the mundane things around the temple. That was his job. But both passed by on the other side. It's interesting, we have no idea who the man was. In a sense, he's almost irrelevant to the story. It's the other characters that become most important. There is without question some conflict here between these individuals' passion for God and their compassion for other people. There is actually some conflict probably built up within them between their service to God and their care for this human being who is lying almost dead on the side of the street. And they choose to ignore him and move as far away as possible to bypass him on the other side of the road. There is a disconnect. Without question, their service to God has somehow hindered them in their caring for another human being. The priest, for example, he may, if he had touched this man who either was dead or, God forbid, was a non-Jew, a Samaritan perhaps, he would become unclean and wouldn't be able to serve God. And maybe this was some of his thinking. It just does not compute. It does not fit together. But to this point in the story, the overall story, we have three individuals, three of the probably key religious leaders of the time, an expert in the law, a priest, a Levite. It's beginning to sound like the beginning of a bad joke. You know, there's an expert in the law, a priest, a Levite walked into a bar, <laughs> kind of stuff. In our day and age, it might be, you know, the rector, a curate, and a lay reader walked into a pub 
and where does it go from there? And, that, and without question, as the man is listening to Jesus and the crowd is listening to the man talk to Jesus, they're aware of this triune uh, group of, of key religious individuals who would all claim they have a passion for God. But they're trying to justify themselves. They're trying to move away from where there was need. And they seem to lack a compassion for others. And then verse 20 or 33 comes. And I am sure to the hearers of the day, it was a real surprise. It starts with, but a Samaritan. It's like, boom, wow, this is such a change. You would almost be expecting the worst that Jesus could do here. The way in which he could, as a sense, you know, stick the knife in and twist it. Would be to say, and there was an ordinary Jew. A good man who loved God, who had compassion on this individual. That would make sense. But to in fact claim that it was a Samaritan who would come along and do this. Two, three weeks ago, I think uh, Scott stole all my, uh, Scott Evans stole all my thunder as he explained the difference between Samaritans and Jews. But let me recover some of that, just in case you missed it. They, back about 750 years before this, the Assyrians had come, had scattered the, twen, the 10 tribes of Israel, had brought other people in to live in the area. Some of the Jews intermarried with them and the Samaritans came out of this. There were a mix of different uh, nations who had now began to become a nation in their own right of Samaritans. We see them in, for example, John chapter 4, where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. She's very honest. She says, what does you as a Jew have to do with me as a Samaritan? Without question, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be inferior, to be not pure as they were. They worshipped elsewhere on Mount Garrison rather than in Jerusalem. They believed only in the first five books of the Older Testament rather than in all of it that the Jews would have. As I said at the beginning, the average person would have expected that this story would head, that there was a, just a normal, everyday, ordinary Jew who came and helped the man on the side of the road. The fact that it was a Samaritan, it wasn't just a slap in the face, it was a kick in the head. And Jesus wanted this expert in the law to be shocked. He wanted everyone else to be surprised. Because he recognizes that one of the great struggles of religion is that we can easily claim to have a passion for God without having any compassion for other people. And so the Samaritan enters the story. Let me read from verse 33. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw, he took pity on him, or had compassion on him, would be an equally valid translation. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he took a man, he, he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, 
he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he says, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. There is no doubt that the actions of the Good Samaritan, which in and of itself is, in the day at least, was an oxymoron. These two words should never be put together. And we live in a time when, you know, down through history, there have been those who have been considered to be less than human in some way. Places like apartheid in South America, South Africa. Blacks and whites in the southern states. Palestinians and Jews. Even Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. Elements of sectarianism at its heart is in the middle of this picture. And yet for the Good Samaritan, which to the people of the day, particularly the Jews, would have made no sense whatsoever. The old Westerns used to have a phrase that would say, only good Indian is a dead Indian. You know? <laughs> and likewise, the probably same attitude held for Samaritans of the day. And yet Jesus was going to turn that on its head. But look at the cost, look at the imposition that came upon the Good Samaritan. He stopped. He looked after the man, having had compassion on him. And having compassion on someone requires action. It's not just a feeling. It's something that needs to work itself out in some way. So what did he do? He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. Again, at cost to himself. The time to bandage his wound. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn. He gave him two denarii and said, would you look after him? And if it's more cost, I'll cover it. Let's say, for example, let's say it cost him another half denarii when he returned. Two and a half denarii to look after this man who was found nearly dead on the side of the road. That's a half week's wage. What's your income for half a week? I suspect that's a significant amount of money to give to a stranger to help them. Someone who you never met, someone who you don't know. That's in addition to his time and his effort and the weight on his own donkey, as is in the story. I want you to come with me for a minute. Come with me to an inn on the side of the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's that a week after this event. And the injured man is recovering. He's in much better form, still a few bandages on him, but he's up and about. He's been well looked after by the innkeeper. He ends up having an evening meal with two individuals, a priest and a Levite. They asked him about his wounds and his injuries, and he said, yeah, I was attacked by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road. And they said, oh yeah, it's a dangerous old road. I remember last week passing by by that grove at the back corner there, grove of trees at the back corner, and there was a man dead on the side of the road. And the Levite said, yeah, I saw him too. Well, <laughs> you can imagine the conversation from there. 
the man with his bandages and wounds takes strips off them, up one side and down the other. You call yourselves servants of God and yet you left me for dead because that was me on the side of the road. You walk past with no care, no compassion for me. How do you think, how on earth do you think you can gain eternal life if you act like that? Going back to the question that was asked earlier. Just as this scathing re response by the injured man is finishing up, in walks the Samaritan. He's there to pay his debt, to check on the person he had rescued the week before, to make sure as he paid that the innkeeper wasn't out of pocket and he would pay whatever was left from the illustration I made earlier, the extra half denarii. To make up a half a week, half of his weekly wage, he would give to the innkeeper. More than likely, the priests and the Levite would simply turn their back on this man. They would ignore him because they didn't even want to look upon him. He was less than you. And more than likely, so did the injured man. Because he had no idea who had rescued him. And if he was your standard Jew, then likewise he would have no time for the Samaritan. <coughs> Having already taken strips off the other two for leaving him dead on the side of the road, he now perhaps acts the same. With no compassion for the Samaritan. With prejudice and ignorance, he acts towards him. And perhaps it's time for the innkeeper to take a few strips off them all for their attitude and their actions. To say to the injured man, how do you expect to gain eternal life if you treat people like this? If you have no compassion for another human? and treat them as less than human. Ironically, if you go back to the beginning of this story, the only one who has any chance, according to the law, of gaining eternal life is the Samaritan. Because he has a passion for God and a compassion for others. Now that would be an anthem. And I think one of the reasons Jesus chooses the Samaritan is to shock people. Because many of us, I won't say all of us, but many of us and many of humanity have groups of people who are beyond redemption in our minds. They are beyond the love of God. We wouldn't expect God to shower grace upon them or them to, be act, to act rightly. An Israeli soldier would probably be not expecting, be surprised to be rescued by a Palestinian and to have saved, a Palestinian save his life. For a slave owner in the past to be saved by a slave. Perhaps in Northern Ireland who have a Protestant, you know, 
protected by a Catholic or vice versa would not be expected, would be out of the norm. Depending on the colour of someone's skin or their ethnic background or their lifestyle, we all have attitudes that say, I'm better than them. I have a passion for God, but I don't need to have compassion for them. And Jesus is saying, not at all true. Not at all true. So then finally, Jesus asks a significant question in verse 36. He says, which of, the, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had compassion upon him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That was a big ask for the expert of the law. Because it was not just that he should have compassion on his fellow Jews, or on a priest or a Levite, but that he too should have compassion on Samaritans. And that was a big ask in the day. So what are some of the challenges of the passage? Well, one is this cost. It's not as simple as throwing 50 cents or a euro into someone who's looking for money on the side of the street. Sometimes it will cost half of your week's wage. That can be substantial. So should we never pass a beggar on the street? No, I'm not sure that that is the answer. Jesus doesn't want us to end up with emotional, just our purely emotional responses to situations where we may be spiritually blackmailed into certain things that we might otherwise not want to be. And I don't want to cause you to leave here today thinking every time you see someone looking for money you should give. I used to uh, share a building with uh, Dublin Town who works in the city centre and for them begging was a huge issue and they had done some serious research into the issues and they found some very interesting things. They found that about 30% of those who were begging on the streets of Dublin were professional. This was their job. They did it day in and day out. I bumped into one of them by mistake one day uh, at Conley Station. He was a regular. He was always there at rush hour when I was going home from work. And on one occasion, uh, I took a roundabout way to get there. And here he was, right behind Conley Station, putting an old dirty, scummy pair of trousers on over his nice clean jeans and putting a jacket over his clean shirt. This was his job. He was a professional beggar and probably made good money at it and he knew this was his space and a good place to do it. Others, about 30% about as well, are forced into it by others. If Particularly, it's not quite as prevalent today, but three, four, five years ago, there was a significant group of Eastern European women and children who were forced into begging by people who had control over them. They got none of the money, they passed it on to those who controlled them beyond a sense of uh, trafficking people. Then there's about 30% who uh, simply are begging so they have more money for drugs or alcohol. 
I never figure out how I, fig how I find the other 10% who may indeed be genuine. That's the difficulty. The suggestion by Dublin Town at the time was if you want to help those who are in need, then give to the organizations who are specifically trained to help them. If you're concerned about the homeless, then give to the Simon community, to Threshold and to others like that. If you're concerned about those in poverty, give to the uh, Father McFerry Trust or to you know, Merchants Key and other, the Salvation Army who run some of the hostels. Give into those situations. And then choose to give when you believe the situation is right. I can remember some sitting <coughs> one morning going to work uh, and being interrupted at my beginning of my day by a young woman who was looking for money. And I would just walk past and said, sorry, not today. And I was about... 15, 20 steps beyond when I just felt, no, something different here. And I felt I should go back. I had facts. <coughs> I had crossed over uh, one of the roads, so I had to wait for the light to change to come back. And when I got back, she was, another lady was talking to her, and she, had, she was just 18, had ended up uh, homeless. And I felt <coughs> in that scenario, you know, I probably give, I give significantly more than I ever probably would to someone sitting on the side of the road looking for money. But I felt the tug of the spirit saying, here's a real need, here's a situation that's genuine. Give to it. I would encourage you all to be open to those possibilities. And therefore not to necessarily feel you have to give all the time. Secondly, I think one of the critical things we're told here is that our religious actions have to be mirrored in our relationships to other people. To argue that we claim to have a, a passion for God and have no compassion for the people around us is, makes no sense in God's economy. It does not compute for him. It is not possible whatsoever. And the last thing I suppose that's perhaps important is if it's true that the man didn't know that it was the Samaritan who helped him and would have ignored him had he turned up to pay the innkeeper, I would suggest that you should be aware that as you show compassion towards people, you may not be thanked for it. People may say, oh, you're just religious lunatic, that's all you do. You're trying to, you know, convert me or something. Those should not be our motivations, but we should clearly be aware that the gratitude from others may not always be there. And therefore, giving significantly, as a good Samaritan did, will cost us greatly, will involve not just our money, but our time and effort, and involved. But I think one of the key aspects to the passage is that there is no true passion for God if there is no compassion for others. Those two things must walk hand in hand all the time. Let's pray together.